Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Samir Shakir, a chief resident at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Samir is from Cleveland, Ohio, and completed college and medical school at the University of Pittsburgh. His interest is academic craniofacial surgery. Samir, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jenna. So I'd love to start by hearing a broad overview of your program at Penn. You know, it's interesting. This actually marks uh, 100 years of Penn Plastic Surgery. The program started in 1921, actually. We're a fully accredited uh, six-year integrated program as well as a uh, three-year independent track. So for a total of 21 residents. Can you tell me a bit about what the plastic surgery experience is like across the first three years of your training? We have a pretty good mix of both general surgery and plastic surgery. I think since I've been a junior resident, we've we've made a shift towards less general surgery as we've moved away from a combined track into a, a fully integrated track. So during intern year, there's five months of dedicated plastic surgery that's split at our main adult hospital, the Hospital University of Pennsylvania, as well as at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So uh, our interns get a really good experience of both pediatric and adult plastic surgery early on. We also do another month uh, of plastic surgery uh, as a night float as well. Moving on to our second year, there's seven months dedicated to plastic surgery. Uh, and then our third year, essentially the full full third year is, is all plastic surgery. That includes two periplastic rotations, such as dermatology and anesthesia. You know, I would say that I think a lot of integrated programs still have some component of general surgery, and I would say it is important to have at least, you know, minimal understanding of general surgery. I think the essence of plastic surgery is really, you know, involving multiple specialties. So learning how to take care of quote-unquote sick patients, I think, is still very important. You started to mention some of the sites that you rotate at. Could you go through some of the main sites? I would say uh, we have three main sites. Uh, our mothership hospital is the Hospital University of Pennsylvania. It's, it's a very busy adult reconstructive practice. We have a, a fully dedicated level one trauma center, uh, Penn Presbyterian Hospital, um, which is actually modeled after shock trauma in Maryland. And then, uh, of course, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where we have our pediatric experience. And in addition to that, we have several community sites as well. It's really a citywide program. Uh, we rotate at Pennsylvania Hospital, which was actually the nation's first hospital, Mainline Health, uh, Virtua in New Jersey is an addition this year, as well as our VA hospital here in Philadelphia. And you mentioned that there is an independent tract. How do the independent residents and the integrated residents work together? So we have a independent resident join our fourth year class. So an independent resident, only one joins the PGY four year, and that person completes the last three years of plastic surgery uh, with us. So that's a track that we still are maintaining in addition to our three integrated residents. You know, I'll talk about fellows a little bit. We have one craniofacial fellow, uh, primarily at CHOP, and then we actually take four microsurgery fellows which integrate very well in with our, our busy microsurgery practice here at Penn. Do you find that there's enough cases to go around in terms of microsurgery, or are the residents sometimes double scrubbed? That's a great question. I would say 
Penn Plastic Surgery is certainly a resident-focused program, first and foremost. Uh, we just happen to have enough clinical volume to justify the additional trainees. And, you know, the number of microsurgery cases that we do is certainly towards the upper threshold of a, of a normal distribution. So having a fellow is good in the sense that we're not just always doing free flaps. When we are doing free flaps, we're typically double scrubbed with a fellow. That being said, you know, it's more of a symbiotic relationship. It's, it's never the fellow always leading the resident through the case. Uh, sometimes it's vice versa as well as we get to our more senior years. And really, the fellows are a great sounding board for us as well. You know, they've, they've recently gone through the trials and tribulations of residency, and I think having them uh, aboard is, is really helpful. And what are the research expectations like? So during the first three years as an as a integrated resident, you're expected to produce one paper in those first three years, which is not much to ask, and certainly most of us supersede that. Beyond that, starting your fourth year, fifth year, and sixth year, you're expected to uh, produce one paper annually. Uh, and again, most of us you know, go beyond this. I would say at Penn, we're really lucky. We have a tremendously successful and very efficient clinical research program, both at HOP, Hospital University of Pennsylvania, and CHOP, the Children's Hospital. And we have dedicated research fellows who take time off yearly and really assist us uh, with the research endeavors. And those research fellows... Where are they in their training pathway? It's really varied. I would say uh, some are medical students who are taking time off, you know, a gap year. Some are general surgery residents who are spending their time off uh, to work with us as well. You get a very good mix of, you know, younger individuals as well as, you know, seasoned residents. And what kind of support is offered for presenting your research? You know, the rule is pretty much if you have a podium talk, you can go to the meeting. If I think about just meetings that I've been probably, you know, pre-COVID at the end of my fourth year and fifth year last year, I went to Helsinki, Finland for the European Association of Plastic Surgery. I went to Paris for the International Society of Craniofacial Surgery, followed that up with a flight straight to San Diego for ASPS, and then attended um, one of my attending, Dr. Lou Bucky's uh, ASAP's Las Vegas Face and Rhinoplasty Symposium. So we are certainly supported in our, in our research endeavors. And is there any one area or a few areas of plastic surgery in which residents come out with the strongest experience in upon graduation? I would say Penn Plastic Surgery is probably known for two things that most everyone knows, microsurgical Reconstruction is, is the first one, and then the second one is you know, pa pediatric craniofacial as well as pediatric hand at CHOP. So I would say those are historically our, our strongest suits. But even beyond that, I would say, you know, now being a chief resident, I, I've seen a lot of other areas of strong focus. We have a very, very strong abdominal wall reconstruction program. And for such an academic center, we have a very good aesthetic experience as well. Can you talk a little bit about how aesthetic training is incorporated across the training years? We have dedicated rotations with primarily private practice aesthetic surgeons, both in the community settings and then here downtown as well. One of our most prominent plastic surgeons here in the Philadelphia region is Dr. Lou Bucky, and he's primarily a national figure known in facelifting as well as breast augmentation. And we spend a dedicated three months with him during our fifth year. In addition to that, we spend dedicated time with a graduate of ours from probably 20 years ago, Dr. Lohner, who's out in the community as well, running a very thriving, successful aesthetic practice. 
And then beyond that, you know, I'll touch on this a little bit later. We have a, a fully supported chief cosmetic clinic as well. Are there opportunities for residents to choose electives in their more senior years? During our fifth year, we have a dedicated month which you can travel relatively wherever you want in order to pursue some sort of passion that you have. I would say most people use that as an opportunity to visit places they might be interested in for fellowship. So for me, you know, as a fifth year, I visited a few programs that I was interested in potentially, uh, you know, attending for craniofacial fellowship. And are there any opportunities for global experiences, whether that's mission trips or research time? Some of our hand attendings more recently started a mission trip to Guatemala. Uh, So they do take one resident, a chief resident, to Guatemala with them to perform hand surgery. That trip is also accompanied by some of our cleft surgeons as well. So there's some potential interest uh, in that avenue. I remember when I was a junior resident, one of my chief residents actually took time off, I think a full month to go with Operation Smile to India. So there certainly are opportunities if you're interested in those. And is there exposure to gender affirmation surgery? Yeah. You know, it's an up-and-coming area in plastic surgery. I would say for us, most of our experience uh, with that is top surgery or facial feminization. We do not have a a very robust bottom surgery or microsurgical gender affirmation experience at the moment. And is moonlighting possible at any point during your training? Moonlighting, it's always a controversial topic. The short answer is yes. As a chief resident, based on specific academic standing criteria, you're able to. The city is so affordable and we're treated so well. Most of us decide not to pursue that just so we can focus more so on our own clinical training and forgo that that extra year of uh, financial bankruptcy. (laughs) How would you improve your program? So I think one area historically uh, that we've always tried to move towards, and a lot of plastic surgery programs have done this, is a combined hand program with orthopedics and plastic surgery. That's something that we're doing this year. Dr. Scott Levin is the chair of uh, orthopedic surgery here at Penn. He was actually the former chair of plastic surgery at Duke. And we already spend a significant amount of time with him. So I think this is just, you know, a natural move in order to enhance our our training here to move towards this combined hand program. It's something I'm really looking forward to as well. We would be more integrated with the orthopedic hand surgeons as well as the plastic surgeons in terms of taking call, splitting up cases, and, uh, you know, attending clinic. And are there any perks about your program you'd like to share? Yeah, we have really good perks. Unfortunately, this is just an audio recording, but I'm literally looking at the Philadelphia skyline right now from my desk. So we are all uh, very spoiled. We all have our own touchdown spaces um, with computer on our offices up here on the 14th floor. In addition to that, we have our own gym. We have a treadmill. We have a Bowflex and we have a Peloton for whenever someone wants to use it. We have a food stipend at all the different hospitals as well, and uh, we're funded for our loops as juniors as well. So I would say in addition to that, I think we touched on this a little bit in terms of the research support, but we also have support to attend courses and labs. As fourth-year residents, uh, we're sent to the ASMS course to learn craniofacial uh, plating techniques. And then as a fifth-year resident, we're also uh, supported to attend our own FLAP course here, the Penn FLAP course which is a cadaveric and live demonstration course. So I would say we certainly have significant perks here. Now, could you tell me a bit about your program leadership? 
I think especially for medical students applying now, it's important to kind of realize something that I didn't really realize when I applied, but, you know, all these institutions undergo an academic turnover cycle. It's just part of being an academic center. And here at Penn, we've been very, very stable for quite some time. Our chair and chief is uh, Dr. Joe Cerletti, who most of you probably already know. He's an icon in microsurgical reconstruction. Our program director is one of our former uh, program graduates, uh, Dr. Josh Fosno, and he's probably won every resident teaching award, and he's a big resident favorite here. In terms of, you know, other faculty here, it's hard to name just a few. One of the things that really caught my eye about Penn is that we really learn from national and international leaders in almost every aspect of plastic surgery. At the Children's Hospital, we have Dr. Scott Bartlett and Dr. Jesse Taylor, who are international figures in, in cleft and craniofacial surgery. Um, in addition to Dr. Sirletti, we have Dr. Lisa Wu, who's a very well-known uh, microsurgeon. I touched a little bit about hand, but we have a hand transplant program here as well, headed up by Dr. Scott Levin and Dr. Ben Chang. I would be remiss if I didn't leave out Dr. Steve Kovac, who's probably one of the busiest reconstructive microsurgeons um, on the East Coast. Can you tell me about a time when you brought up an issue to program leadership and how they responded? You know, our program leadership is very responsive and approachable from anyone from the program director all the way up to Dr. Sirletti. We have biannual individual and group meetings, so we have an opportunity to bring up, you know, any sort of issue. Um, and I've always felt incredibly well supported. Uh, I think an example would be probably our combined hand uh, program that we're trialing this year. I think that was uh, something that the residents really wanted and the faculty wanted, and we came together to really make that happen this past year. And now could you describe a bit more about the relationships amongst the residents and what that culture is like? This is something I didn't really realize when I came here when I was fortunate to match here, but I would say the best aspect of our plastic surgery is probably the camaraderie among residents and faculty. I can tell you from our interns all the way to our chiefs, all of us are, are very good friends, and it's really a pleasure to come to work every day and take care of patients uh, together. We really have fun, and I would say we probably spend too much time inside and outside of the hospital uh, together. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's been a real pleasure to really realize that. I think that's an incredibly important aspect of training. You spend at least six years as an integrated resident with these people, so you want to make sure that where you end up has a really positive environment. Now a bit more about the logistics of how residents live. Do most residents tend to own or rent? I would say it's a mix. For being on the northeast region of the country, Philadelphia is a very affordable place to actually buy your own home, and there's certainly tax credits for new constructions that a lot of us do take advantage of. So in terms of renting or owning, I would probably say it's split 50-50. In terms of living in houses or apartments, again, I would say it's probably split the same way. And most of our residents come to the program either married or end up marrying someone having children. So basically see the full spectrum of single living in an apartment to married living in a house with kids. You did mention that there are a number of different sites throughout the city. So is it necessary to have a car? For the senior years, yes. Uh, when we rotate at some of our mo more community sites, if you didn't want to, you wouldn't have to. You would just probably have to rent a car maybe for a month or two when you're at those specific off-site locations. I typically bike when it's not winter just because it's an incredibly bikeable city. Besides the affordability, what else do you like about living in Philly? 
So I had never visited Philadelphia before I came here for a rotation and then ultimately matched here. And I've been very pleasantly surprised. Philadelphia was actually the first UNESCO World Heritage Site in the U.S. in 2015. I don't really know exactly what that means, but I think it kind of supports my, my statement that Philadelphia is an awesome place to be. It has an incredibly rich history of uh, national significance. Something that I really like about Philadelphia is the restaurant scene. We have several James Beard uh, award-winning chefs and restaurants here. And outside of New York City, which is only two hours away, on the on, less on the train, um, it's really a big foodie town, which I've come to love. I mentioned this, you know, it's, we're in the tri-state area. It's very easy to get around other places as well. If you want to escape and head to New York City or, or D.C. or something, it's, you know, an hour or two train ride away, which is really nice. Um, in terms of, you know, art and culture, there's a lot to do here. Have you seen Rocky, Jenna? Actually haven't. That's embarrassing. <laughs> there's the art, Philly Art Museum. And the reason I brought that up is because, you know, that's one of the, the famous running trails that a lot of us go up to and, and we model Rocky at the top of it. There's a great orchestra as well. There's the Rodin Museum. Philadelphia obviously has some uh, major sports teams as well. The Philadelphia Eagles, known as the Birds, Philadelphia 76ers for basketball, the Phillies for baseball, as well as the Flyers. So if you're interested in sports, this is a big sports town. And do you find that you have the time to engage with a number of these activities during your training years? Absolutely. I think we keep our training schedule the way it is for that reason. I think more of the call responsibilities and the learning occurs during the junior years and we keep it that way. And then as you become transitioned to the senior years, um, you really transition to a clinical operative heavy load and then really you enjoy time outside of the hospital as well. So you're really able to take advantage of all these things. So I think that's most of the information I wanted to go through today. Any final thoughts either about your program or the process of applying to residency in general? You know, it's going to be an interesting year for everyone in the setting of coronavirus. And hopefully that doesn't detract anyone from really wanting to pursue plastic surgery. I think it's an incredibly rich field. And specifically here, you know, Penn Plastic Surgery, we're a real family. I think a lot happens here in residency. We attend one another's weddings. We watch our families grow. We spend the holidays together. My experience reflecting back on my five plus years here so far has been incredibly, overwhelmingly positive not only from the clinical or research aspects, but also the mentorship and the opportunity aspects. And I think I can speak on behalf of all my co-residents when I say I don't think any of us could be any happier to have trained here. So my final thoughts would be good luck to everyone this year, and I hope to see you either in person or virtually. Do you have any single piece of advice that you'd want to give to a prospective applicant? As a prospective applicant, to not stress over or fret over too many of the seeming roadblocks that have been thrown in your way this year. I think all the applicants always impress me year after year, and you've done so much incredible work to get up to this point. So at some point, you really have to bask in all of your accomplishments, and you should be excited about the future. And if applicants want to find out more about your program, how should they go about doing that? So we are pretty active on social media. Our handle is at Pen Plastic Surgery on Instagram or on Twitter, so you can certainly reach out to us on that. If you go to the Pen website as well, Pen Plastic Surgery, you'll find all of the residents as well as their emails. So 
feel free anytime to reach out to any of us. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Samir. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.